0: Today, I want to read from the ESV. I typically read from the NIV, but I want to read from this new uh, translation today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, feel free to open it up with me to Exodus 20, verse 7. It'll be on the screen as well, um, but you could just follow along on your phone. It's just one verse, Exodus 20, verse 7. And in this chapter, we find what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue. And this is one of the commandments. Um, Exodus 27 in the ESV says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord, and you can note that Lord is all capitalized. That means that we're referring to Yahweh whenever it's all capitalized like that. Uh, Will not hold him guiltless who takes... His name in vain. So that is our text for today. And if you will, I know we just prayed, but if we could just pray one more time as we open up the scriptures and talk about what God has in store for us today. Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our minds, and let us live out what we learn today. What is your word? Not man's word, but your word. Let us learn and practice that This week, and hopefully for our entire lives. Make us aware. Make us awake. Um, Do your will, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but one of the worst things I have heard somebody say to me, or to some other Christian, is, and you call yourself a Christian. I mean, it's one of the worst things I have ever heard, because as a Christian, I am supposed to represent Christ. And there are only so many people who claim to be Christians who represent Christ in our work, in our school, in our family. So we have a big responsibility of representing Christ. And yet people call us or say to us, and you call yourself a Christian. They probably said this because we were caught maybe cheating on the test, or saying a bad word, or saying something mean, or a dirty joke. Or acted in some inappropriate way. Others know that you're a Christian and see you act up. So they say, and you call yourself a Christian. Or maybe your friend would say, see you're not better than the rest of us. You're one of us. I always knew you never changed. You, you were just acting holier than thou, but nothing really change, and they might even call you a hypocrite. It's pretty humiliating. We are supposed to demonstrate that we are Christians. We're supposed to represent our master, Jesus Christ. But yet people say, and you call yourself a Christian. Perhaps instead of saying that, they say, you're not a real Christian. A real Christian wouldn't do what you just did. A real Christian wouldn't listen to the music you listen to. A real Christian wouldn't dress like you dress. There are so many things that real Christians do, but it seems like you just don't do them. Of course, we shouldn't allow what others say define us. We are all on a journey, and they don't know our private progress. But still, I think what this missionary, Christopher Wright, what what he asked, I think it's a good question. He said, how could you bear witness to being a follower of Jesus if you were just as worldly as all the other young folks? You know, if you live like the world, like nothing has changed your life, people will see no reason to follow Jesus if you are just like everyone else, they'll see there's no need. Jesus didn't change your life. There's no need to follow Jesus as according to your, your lifestyle, Jesus is unable to change lives. But what we believe about God should influence how we live. The belief of God's people needs to change the behavior of Of God's people. So what we believe of as God's people, it needs to change how we behave as God's people. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to behave like a Christian. If you cling or bear the name of Christ, you must depart from iniquity. That's what the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2. 219, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And we might think that part of turning away from wickedness is following the Ten Commandments. Many of us have heard about the Ten Commandments. We might know them by heart. Probably in the King James Version, you probably heard this. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. What does that mean? Taking the name of the Lord in vain. And by the way, again, remember, when it's all Lord capitalized, it's referring to God's covenant name, Jehovah or Yahweh. So what does it mean not to take the name of the Lord in vain? Many of us have thought that this means not to... Use the name of God or Jesus or Christ as a swear word or in any kind of exclamation. And while we shouldn't do these things, this command means more much more than not saying Jesus as a swear word. It means more, not less. I recently read a book on this verse, on this one verse. It was written by Carmen, Joy's, uh, Carmen Joy Emis. She's a professor and she said that this is a better rendition of the verse. You shall not bear. In other translations it says take or say. But in the Hebrew, she looked at the Hebrew and she said that a good translation is to bear the name of the Lord thy God in vain. She looked at the context and she concluded that this verse was about bearing the name of God, the name of Yahweh. And everyone can see that We bear the name of God. It's visible. It's an ethical and missional responsibility. We should not take lightly that we bear the name of God. We shouldn't bear it in vain. And one of the weaknesses of the modern church is that it has neglected the teachings of bearing God's name. Bearing God's name was important to the nation of Israel. And it was important to Christ the apostles, and the early Christians. The early Christians looked at the Old Testament. They would have looked at the story of Malachi, the book that we just covered, looked at the commandments, and they would find them relevant to themselves. But unfortunately, today, many Christians think that they could live without the Old Testament. Living without the Old Testament would have appalled Jesus, Peter, and Paul, saying that we're just New Testament Christians and not Old Testament Christians. That, that's weird talk. No, we, we need to stop doing that. The Old Testament, the ethics of the Old Testament, and the teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures, the story of the Hebrew Bibles connect to the gospel of the New Testament. And this teaching that we just read in the Ten Commandments, in the Decalogue, about bearing the name of the Lord, it, it hinges, it connects both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think that people can benefit today from studying the Old Testament. We need the Old Testament to truly understand Jesus and his work. It's not a dichotomy. It's not either the Old Testament or the New Testament. No, they go together. And we should, and we should see that the story of the Old Testament is also part of our story. Today we will be looking at Moses. On the mountain. Sinai was the name of the mountain. The ancient Israelites were there and met their God, Yahweh. None of us have gone to Sinai, I think. And The people of Israel were there over 3,000 years ago. They spoke a different language than us. They lived differently. Had different values, customs, and concerns. However... We are united to their story through Christ. And I pray that today you will see this biblical story and recognize that this is your story. I know that some of you have attempted to read the Bible. Maybe you start from the beginning in Genesis and try to go all the way to Revelation and see that it's pretty hard Maybe Genesis is kind of interesting, the stories there, but then you get into Exodus, into Sinai, and it gets kind of boring because you read all these all about these laws that might seem harsh, irrelevant, primitive, cruel, but these laws are important. And hopefully you you remember the story of Exodus and th- these laws. You might remember that God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt through the leadership of Moses. The slaves were free, and they started traveling through the wilderness. They were hungry and thirsty, and eventually they arrived at Mount Sinai. Moses climbs up to meet with God on the mountain. The people and God meet, and God then just gives them rules. Could you imagine Moses? The Israelites had just been delivered. They go to the mountains and, and then God just gives them rules. He probably said, Uh, Lord, isn't this the part where you bless us, or the part where you give us food? These people have been on a journey, and you're just giving them rules? Couldn't God just have waited? But these rules were important. These rules would show the world that Israel was wise and understanding. Wisdom through the law. Yeah, the the Hebrews, the Israelites, had fled Egypt. They were children of Abraham. And the group consisted of a mixed multitude. It consisted of refugees and former slaves who were seeking a better life. It wasn't easy leaving. They wondered whether they were safe. They asked about where they were going. They wanted to know what they would eat and who's in charge. They desired to know who Yahweh, the God of Moses, was and what he expected of them. On their journey to their destination, they were in a process of liminality. Liminality is an interesting word. This word is used to talk about things that are like in limbo. Like, say you're standing in a doorway. You're neither in nor out. We all experience liminality, like all moms, right? There were a time that they were pregnant, and at one point, and a pregnant woman, she enters liminality because she's like a mom, but at the same time, she's not it's in this in-between place liminality it usually is temporary but it can last for a while uh, a lot of immigrants and refugees experience liminality they lack papers to work legally or to even stay in their host country they always feel like an outsider but yet they are a very they they are part of the country and they never know whether they should start putting roots or start packing they're in this weird spot Colleges and schools, they intentionally create liminality. Students are expected to enter this passing phase. You learn the ropes. And just when you get used to it, you graduate. By the way, I'm graduating next Saturday, so yay. (laughs) Yes. Um, But the nation of Israel, they were in a liminal space. Uh, The wilderness and their time at Sinai was temporary. Just like school, the wilderness was supposed to prepare Israel for when they entered the promised land. Israel had been liberated from slavery in Egypt, but they had not arrived at their final destination. They had left everything in Egypt, but like, how were they supposed to live? How were they supposed to survive? They felt vulnerable, these, these slaves and refugees. They, they were uncertain. Yes, they, they escaped slavery, but now... How are they supposed to live? Who was this God? So God puts them in this space, in the wilderness, and it's a space of liminality, a space where they're learning. He kept them there until they're ready. And to prepare them, God spoke to them and gave them the Torah, the law. And the purpose of the Torah was for leadership, guidance, protection, and provision. God invited them to begin walking in a new way by trusting him. In this liminal space, the Israelites could hear the voice of God. Trust in God is not automatic. It's a process. And God spends time with the Israelites so that they could learn. And he works patiently with the Israelites. A lot of the times, the Israelites failed. They failed to trust And God, but God was patient. God had partnered with Moses. I I hope that you know the story of Moses. It's a beautiful story. Moses was a Hebrew, a descendant of Abraham. In Egypt, Pharaoh decided to kill all of the Hebrew babies, but through a series of fortunate events, Moses was delivered and grew up in the royal palace of Egypt. You might remember the movie, The Prince of Egypt. Eventually, Moses fled Egypt and became a shepherd. As a shepherd, he found a burning bush. God spoke through the burning bush. God reminded Moses about the beret, the covenant. The covenant that God had made with Abraham. And God was still faithful to that promise that he had made with Abraham. He would deliver the Israelites. And God was going to use Moses' To deliver the Israelites. Moses asked, who am I to do this? Exodus 3.11, Moses is talking. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God responded. Exodus 3.12, the following verse. I will be with you. Isn't that kind of interesting? Interesting. I will be with you. Moses asked God, Who am I to take all of these Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, He he doesn't answer the question. He just says, I will be with you. Carmen Joy said, It doesn't matter who Moses is. It matters only that God is with him. It didn't matter who Moses was what he had learned in the royal palace. It it didn't matter that he was a shepherd. God wasn't like, hey, you have learned all of these great things in the royal palace. Instead, God only said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And that's enough. That's enough for Moses to get up and go to Pharaoh and to deliver the Israelites from slavery. I will be with you. And this sounds a lot like what Jesus said In the Great Commission, his last words before he ascended. Matthew 28, 20. He gives commands that you should go make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. And then he ends with this. And surely I am with you always. I am with you always. That's enough to cause us to do anything. That was enough to help Moses deliver the Israelites from the Egyptian world power. And Moses did do that. He took the Israelites away from Egypt. And he took them to the mountain as 312, Exodus 3.12 said. At Mount Sinai, which was the picture that we saw at first, the Israelites would worship the Lord. At the burning bush, but before Moses went, He met with God through a burning bush. Moses learned about God's name. God revealed his name. This is pretty significant. Most gods were known by a nickname and were distant. Knowing the proper divine name offered access to power. That was the ancient Near Eastern thought. In the Egyptian legend of Isis and Ra, one god tries to get control of the other. But they could only do so by knowing the other's true name. Yahweh, the Lord, he he doesn't hide his name. Instead of being like the distant pagan gods who provide only nicknames, Yahweh, he, he doesn't hide his name to keep his distance. Instead, he reveals his name to Moses. And therefore, Yahweh's partnering with Moses into his council. They're, they're on a first name basis. It's no longer Mr. President or Mr. God, but now it's Yahweh. Yahweh, God partnered with Moses and delivered the Israelites, and he takes them to the mountain. And what is the first thing that God preached to this community of slaves? In Exodus 19:3 to 6, God said. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Look at the type of intimacy God shows. I carried you on eagle's wings. I carried you and brought you to myself. He is a close God. And he said, you will be my treasured possession, my segola. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Old Testament is beautiful and we, we see God's grace. Yahweh had military victory over Egypt. He triumphed over Egypt and freed his people. And Yahweh loves, he halves Israel so much that he carried them on eagles' wings. He keeps them safe. And Israel will be His special treasure. In response, Israel should have represented God. The Israelites didn't have to guess what God wanted them to do. No, God gave them the Torah. He gave them the instructions. It's a good thing. It was supposed to help the Israelites understand their role in this world. God spoke the Torah so that the Israelites wouldn't have to do guesswork. He told them straight up, the Torah was a gift. God had already saved Israel, and now this is how they would live their lives. Now, let me be clear, since we're talking a lot about laws. The Torah was not meant to give Israel salvation. Israel was already saved since God had delivered them from Egypt. Obedience to the law did not bring salvation, but the law, the Torah, were fences within which life could flourish. They made the Israelites different so that other nations could see the character of Yahweh and what He expects. Carmen Joy, she shares a story about her son attending his annual awards assembly at his school. His fifth grade assembly was pretty significant because his teacher, Mr. Andreas, was retiring after 38 years of teaching. He was a very good teacher, but his last words to the students were, you might say, mundane. Mr. Andreas said, His last words at the assembly. Don't forget to make your bed. It was his daily mantra. And he thought that if children start with making, with small things like making their beds, they would be disciplined and grow inch by inch. But still, his last words for the students. Don't forget to make your bed. It seems pretty anticlimactic. And it might feel that way when we read the story of Exodus. God picked Moses, partnered with him, showed his wonders, destroyed Egypt, delivered the Israelites, and now they're at the mountain, at the climax. And God gives them laws. Again, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. They didn't use the English word law. Instead, think Torah. A good translation for Torah is instruction. Don't think of the Western form of law. When we think of law that way, we, we think of legislature that indicates either required or prohibited behavior that cops and other governmental agencies enforce. Ancient law didn't work the same way. It was at times hypothetical and was supposed to give wisdom. Think maybe of law as wisdom. The instruction, the Torah, invited the Israelites to live a life worth living. With the giving of the Torah, we see a father, Yahweh, giving instructions to his children. Yahweh is giving instructions to Israel. It's something personal God gave to Israel gave to Israel, not to the church. And it consisted of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And here they are. Maybe you've read them. Maybe you've seen them before. But uh, there's ten in in total. And some people split it up differently. But this is how I tend to split it up. So the first, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of Egypt the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. I shall not. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, that is that, that generation that was present of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generation. So he may focus on the current generation, but the generations that follow, he shows love for those who love me and keep my commandments. And two, you shall not misuse the, the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Number three, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in, the six, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The fourth command, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The fifth command, you shall not murder. The sixth command, you shall not commit adultery. The seventh command, you shall not steal. The eighth command, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And the ninth command, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And the fourth command, The 10th command, sorry. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So these are the 10 commandments, the Decalogue. The first command is, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh your God. So you must have no other gods. And you must not make any images. Exodus 22-6 is the first command, although others would split it up differently. The first command says that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the only God. Therefore, Israel is to worship only Yahweh. There are a lot of options of what we could worship today and back then. But worshiping Yahweh is the only legitimate deity deserving of worship. The second command is about taking the Lord's name in vain. And I really just want to focus on this one. We focus on context, but now let's look at the actual command. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's the NIV translation. As I said in the beginning, many... Think that taking the Lord's name in vain means using the word Jesus or God as a swear word. Maybe at your house you couldn't use, oh gosh, or holy cow, because they were too irreverent. And I mean, saying these filler words, sometimes they, they could exhibit the same toxicity that's within our heart. So it's not advisable to say God's name as a swear word. It, it is dishonoring God and we shouldn't do that. It's a very serious matter as we, we saw in, in Malachi. But this is not what the command is talking about. What some people have called the name command, it, it's something much more, not less, more than that. And maybe if we look at it through the translation that I used earlier, we, we can make more sense of what this command means. This command in, Carmen, in Carmen's translation is this. You must not bear or carry the name of Yahweh your God in vain. For Yahweh will not hold guiltless one who bears or carries his name in vain. It's not just about speaking God's name in vain. But it's about bearing or carrying God's name in vain. The command, this command, it's talking about bearing the name of God well. It's about representing God's name, God's person well. Yahweh, he puts his name over the nation. And the nation had to bear the name of God well. This command is a warning about bearing the name in vain. It's more than just not saying, oh, Yahweh, when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, or disgruntling Jesus Christ when you don't get what you want. Keeping the command changes more than what we just say, but it changes how we live. It changes everything about how we live. The Israelites were supposed to bear God's name, and bearing God's name meant that they were supposed to live different. Differently from all the pagan nations. The Israelites had God's name over them. Therefore, they were different. And all the other commands follow from this idea of bearing God's name. If Israel bared God's name well, they would rest on the Sabbath. They would honor their parents, especially their moms, on Mother's Day. They would not murder They would not commit adultery if they bared God's name. They would not steal. They would not give false testimony. They would not lie. They would not covet. God gave his name to the Israelites. The Israelites essentially had this invisible tattoo on them that said, God's. They had to bear the name well. At Sinai, Israel discovered their role and their identity. And calling. But Israel would fail to bear God's name well. They would actually break the command over and over. They would bear God's name in vain. But God knew that, so He set up this system so that. Israel could receive forgiveness, the sacrificial system, a day of atonement. And the priest would regularly tell the Israelites, uh, this. they would pray this prayer over them so they could put the name of God upon them. And some of us may have heard this prayer, especially in a recent song, very famous, popular song, number 6, 22 to 27. This is a prayer that the priest of Israel would pray to, over Israel. The Lord Moses the Lord said to Moses tell Aaron and his sons this is how you are to bless the Israelites say to them the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace so they the priests will put my name the Lord's name on the priests on on the Israelites and I, God, will bless them. Israel, be re- would be, Israel would be regularly reminded that they bear God's name. The priests, would, the priests would pray this prayer, and Israel would remember that they belong to God. The Israelites were slaves, remember? They belonged to the Egyptians. They had, some really did have on them, branded their slave owners, It was imprinted on them. They were branded as part of Egypt's property. But now they belong to Yahweh. They willingly belong to Yahweh. They bear his name and dedicate themselves to his service. And their master, new master, is unlike the masters of Egypt. This master is determined to bless them and treat them lovingly. Everyone, all the nations, are looking at Israel, seeing what type of God their master really is. The Israelites had a great responsibility. Others should tell just by looking at Israel what kind of God Yahweh is. They should be able to tell that this nation belongs to God. And they would be able to tell by what they wore, what they ate, how they treated one another, who they were intimate with, how they did business with one another. All these areas were supposed to reflect Yahweh. In all of these areas, they were supposed to bear God's name. Yahweh's name would be at stake if they had failed. Because they would be corrupting their name just as a son could corrupt their parents' name. And it's sad, to be honest. Israel failed to honor God. As we saw in Malachi, Israel cheated, abused the powerless, gave God cut-rate sacrifices. The nation of Israel was not bearing the name of God. They were no longer being distinct. They blended with the other nations. However, even though the Israelites bore the name of God dishonorably, God still wanted Israel to identify itself with him. Even though Israel did a bad job bearing the name of God, God still wanted to put his name over Israel. A prophet said this, that God would do this. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still, others will write on their hands, The Lords, they belong to the Lord, and will take the name Israel. The prophets proclaim that a great spiritual awakening would occur. Some Israelites will make their allegiance to Yahweh by getting a tattoo or get it labeled that says La Yahweh, whether it's literal or figurative, the point is that they belong to Yahweh. Even if the Israelites were acting like they didn't have a God, there would be a day when it's evident that Israel belongs to God. So, you've probably heard me talk about the Israelites and them bearing Yahweh's name. And you might think, oh, this is an Old Testament thing. Kind of cool to hear about, you know, we, we care about what God has done. That's important, but... How does this relate to me? What, what are the ramifications? Is, it, is this even relevant to me? And you might think that it's not, but it actually is. This theme of bearing God's name is present throughout the New Testament, present throughout the church. The name appears in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray that we would sanctify, that we would hollow, that we would make holy the Father's name. We are to make the Father's name known. Each time we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are committing ourselves to honoring God's name. And then in the New Testament, we also see something interesting. We we see the name of Jesus being used just as the name of Yahweh would be used. In fact, according to to Acts 4.12, the name of Jesus is the only saving name. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is talking about Jesus. So what's special? What's so special about Jesus that there's only salvation in his name? Maybe Matthew 1.21 might give us some insight. This is the angel talking about Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Mary would give her baby the name Jesus because he would save. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. That, that's what the name means. My name means God is, God is judge Jesus' name means Yahweh saves, Jehovah saves. Because Mary's son and Yahweh would save his people from their sins, Mary's son's name would be Yeshua, Jesus. Yahweh saves. The name of Jesus does not replace the name of the Lord, the name Yahweh. Instead, Jesus' name announces that Yahweh has come to save his people. There's not a disconnection between Yahweh and Jesus. Jesus is seen as Yahweh's representative. And Jesus is also Yahweh Jehovah himself in the flesh. The work that Jesus does is done because Jesus has come in the name of the Father. John 5.43 I have come in in my Father's name. In Jesus, we see what Israel should have done. Jesus is bearing the name of God Well, in Jesus, we see a person who is wholeheartedly bearing God's name honorably. In Jesus, we see a human who is fully committed to making God's name known. Every action that Jesus does, it it shows, it is marked with the name of the Father, Jesus reflects the behavior and character of God, just as the Israelites should have represented God. Jesus passed the test that Israel failed. In the wilderness, Jesus defeated Satan, whereas Israel failed in the wilderness by worshiping a golden calf. Jesus passed the test. We all failed. And then something happens the followers of Jesus through the Holy Spirit began to elevate the name of Jesus. The early church used Jesus' name, the name of Jesus, as the Old Testament would use Yahweh's name. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, reverence transferred from Yahweh to Jesus without explanation or apology. And full of God's Spirit, Peter preached the first sermon of the church in Acts 2. And he quoted from Joel 2.32, he quoted the first part which says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, in the Hebrew it's talking about Yahweh, will be saved. And in Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is referencing Yahweh. But at the same time, Peter says, he starts talking about the name, instead of saying the name of the Lord, he starts saying the name of Jesus. Acts 3, 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth walk. No other name but Yahweh, as we saw in Joel, saves. No other name but Jesus saves. Peter is convinced That Jesus of Nazareth is Yahweh in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, the people of God call on Jesus' name, are baptized in his name, perform healing in his name, teach in his name, do signs and wonders in his name, proclaim his name, have faith in his name, and receive forgiveness in his name. There is a shift. The the focus turns from the name of Yahweh to the name of Jesus. And Philippians 2.9 says that God gave Jesus the name that is above every other name. Because Jesus has finished all work, all the work that the Father had given him, God has given him the name that is above every name. Jesus finished all the work the Father had assigned him, but he didn't finish all work. Let me say that again. Jesus finished all the work the Father had assigned him, but he didn't finish all work. In fact, Jesus has left work for us, his disciples, to do. We are commissioned to carry out his mission. Look at what the Lord said about Paul, a disciple of Jesus, in a very literal translation of the NASB. This is the Lord Jesus, and we're almost closing. Give me two minutes. This is Jesus talking to Paul. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is talking in reference to Paul. For he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. He's an instrument to do what? To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Paul was an instrument of Of the Lord. This is when the Lord spoke to Ananias. Paul was an instrument of Jesus. To do what? To bear the name of Jesus. And we as disciples have that same calling. We are instruments who bear the name of Jesus. The name of God. We sing, we worship, we serve, we live as bearers of God's name. Do whatever it takes to bear the name of God well, even if it takes us to a cross. Bearing the name of Jesus means that we have the task of reflecting Christ through our behavior. Carmen Joy said, While Israel's task had been to bear Yahweh's name among the nations, the church, you and me, we now have the responsibility to bear Jesus' name among the nations. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are his emissaries. We do life in the name of Christ. And in the name of Jesus, we are supposed to make more disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. We are Jesus' representative. And it's not easy. We have challenges. We live in a world where bearing the name of Jesus is hard. Maybe at school, maybe at work, it's hard. And, and I, 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 was, I told you that I've been reading Carmen Joy, and, and she shared that even within a Christian school, it could be hard to bear and represent Christ. She shared her experience as a Christian within a Christian school. you think that within a Christian school, you wouldn't face judgment or persecution for being a Christian, right? That, that it would be easier to be a Christian, right? But I wish that was the case. And as a teacher, I have witnessed students tease other students for listening to Christian music. Carmen Joy shared that she felt a lot of pressure to stop, ta- to stop taking her faith so seriously. She was teased a lot. God was a topic reserved for Sunday school and Bible classes, but it was unwelcome on the playground. She was called a goody-two-shoes when she talked about following Jesus. And it's hard to handle that. We, probably some of us do go to school, some don't. Maybe we, we haven't experienced that type of persecution, but we do feel pressures from friends and family, to represent God in a way that is less than honorable. We sometimes believe that following Jesus would eliminate struggle, but that's not the case. However, the good news of the Bible is that Jesus is with us. With us. Us who bear the name of God. We have his presence, and it's beautiful. But it's only available for those who bear his name, who have been baptized in his name, who believe and have put on his name. It's only available who believe in him. You can be under his name. Yes, God's name was only available for Israel at Mount Sinai, but now through Jesus Christ, it's available for everyone, for Gentiles, for non-Israelites. Everyone is invited. You are invited. It is a big responsibility to take God's name because you don't want to take it in vain. But even though it's a big responsibility, it's the best decision that you could ever make. And, you know, it's hard, but we are... All here, Encounter Church is here to help you out. All of us. Each one has our own perspective and we can contribute through the Spirit different things, things that God has taught us. We are small, but we do strive to bear God's name and and do it the best that we can. We're not perfect, but we are marked with His name. And while we do mess up, when bearing His name, we sometimes do do that in vain. God is willing to forgive us. We are forgiven people who strive to bear God's name well. And I pray that this week you may do that. Let's all bow our heads and let's pray. Father I, I pray for everyone here if they have not made the decision to bear your name I pray that you may lead them if they're watching online lead them you have shown grace we we are not worthy of bearing your name but just as the Israelites were unworthy and yet you still saved them and put your name on them you are able to to just take us to we we were slaves to all these things we had things that marked us but you're willing to clean us and put your holy name over us and now that we have your name lord let us bear that well let us not take it in vain let us dress differently let us talk differently let us think differently everything about us walk differently everything's just everything everything let it point to you somehow let it be clear that we are christians We don't want to bear your name in vain. We want to do it well. Let us be instruments, God, just as Paul was called to be an instrument. Thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.